Hey, podcast listeners. You might say to yourself, these whispers have given me the push I need to look for my next job. And if you do, awesome. We have someone that can help you out there. If you're looking to pivot your career or if you're a company looking to hire our tribe of geeks, take a great first step by reaching out to this week's guest, Andy Tulo. Now on to the show. And welcome back to another episode of the Geek Whisperers. I'm Amy Lewis. I'm Matt Brender. And I'm John Mark Troyer. And we are back this week with a very special guest from yet one more spot across the aisle we haven't investigated yet. Here we've been talking about HR and culture and all things about recruiting, except we've never talked to anybody who has actually recruited. So, Andy, welcome to the show, and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yes, thank you, Amy. Great to be here, and thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Andy Tulo. I um, uh, live in Williamsburg, Virginia. I'm a, a father of uh, two amazing kids. I've been married for um, a number of years, and I've known my wife since I was 16. So, very focused on family um, at work. I am um, an entrepreneur and uh, currently uh, running my own business, uh, focused on recruiting, and uh, just really passionate about how, uh, you know, these days we can inject the concepts of, you know, positive psychology into building uh, amazing work cultures, and then also how we can use that to, uh, you know, help people find great places to work and help employers to find great people to come work for them. Well, that's awesome. And I just want to jump right in. So if you are somebody on the market, um, give us the, we need all the the juice, all the inside secrets. So how do you, how do you vet a company's culture before you actually work there? What are some of the the ways that, uh, that you, you would assist somebody in getting a feel for a culture? You know, company culture is, it's kind of like our fingerprints, right? So it's, it's unique to each company. And from my perspective, the things that I look for uh, to align with with an employer and uh, somebody looking for, uh, you know, a new job or a new place to work uh, is really matching up uh, core values. So so determining what a company's core values are. So really like what they stand for um, and then also looking at, at the purpose or the meaning behind what the company is is doing beyond making money. So the trick is to be able to figure out, uh, you know, the core values of the people who, who are in leadership and who work for that organization, and then align that with the people who are looking for jobs. And that can be a little tricky, but I was going to say, so obviously you read the website, but how do you, uh, we can all put something up on the website. The Geek Whispers have a website, which hopefully we live up to our values and culture, but how do you know we're not just selling you a line of goods? So, so you can do research these days, like Glassdoor has some good content and you might be able to glean some information off of there that could give you, you know, some insights. And there's certainly uh, uh, kind of a great assault though, no? Things like yeah, that. Things absolutely. Like absolutely. You know, Glassdoor, take it with a grain of salt. Um, in some circumstances, when there's enough data points, you can start seeing some patterns. 
but but it's just one piece of the puzzle, right? So so and and you guys are probably familiar, um, you know, obviously with with employment branding and and the power of you know really social media and, and how it drives that and and all of the things that you guys talk about around you know authenticity and being able to accurately represent you know who you are as an organization over social is is really where I think companies are trying to. Uh, position themselves. And so that's becoming really interesting. So you can find some content out there, but to Amy's point, how do you know it's valid? <laughs> right? So, so that's the tough part. And um, there's a few ways to do it. One is, you know, uh, if you, if you know people who've worked, uh, you know, for the organization, uh, you can get some insight uh, in, into the company there. And, and the trick there is just asking kind of the right questions so usually what I do, um, if I'm talking to, you know, hiring managers or people who work at companies to try and figure some of those things out, is you just ask about, you know, something that, that someone's done recently that they're really proud of and just hear them tell stories. So, so you can start pulling out things that are important to them just from hearing them talk. Great idea to listen for stories, to let people kind of talk their way through what are some of the keywords you would um, suggest recruits listen for as they are listening to these stories? What are some of the words that perk your ears and that you would counsel us to listen carefully to? So I'm, I'm not sure if it's it's necessarily keywords, but um, I listen for passion. Right when when someone's talking about something that they're really proud of, uh, they really start digging into things that uh, that they really enjoyed working on, and that kind of call out their unique you know, talents and, and strengths and abilities. And, um, you know, I think it's just a question to get people talking about things that they're really passionate about and that they really care about. So that's kind of what I look for. So if, as you're looking at um, a company, two things that I always wonder about the te- being able to tease them apart or not. And one is the culture of the company and their hiring processes so in other words, a company can a company be great, but their hiring processes be sloppy, like the recruiters don't get back to you or they call you in uh, an excessive number of times or they, they just don't contact you for weeks. And then what about – so that those two things, can you look at them in separation or not? And then the other two things would be the company culture versus the, the kind of culture of your manager, you know, your direct the direct hiring manager because sometimes you think, well, the company culture seems weird and creepy – but but the guy I'm going to work for seems cool. Like is that like how how do you as you work with candidates? How do you look at how do you look at those two aspects of separation? You know you can have pockets within an organization depending on how big it is that have different stages of culture. You know so you can have the you know the world changing kind of stage. You, you can have the stage where people feel like. You know, we're doing awesome things and we're really great and, you know, we're moving in the right direction. And, and you know, that that moves on down to, you know, folks who are just in it for themselves or or who are just um, completely miserable in their job. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, you can you can have different pockets of culture within the company, depending on the size. And, and some of that can be driven by, uh, you know, by the leadership. So if you have a great manager who's who's at a higher stage of culture and is you know really positive and engaging and and helping to uplift other people then then that can insulate you from you know kind of overall stagnant company culture 
totally don't disagree that I think the the concept of who you work with every day, a manager can really make you nuts if it's a bad situation. But if the manager is kind of reflecting an overall culture, then it would be really hard for me to disentangle that. And I think oftentimes that could be size of the company can have an impact. You know what I mean? Meaning if you changed managers, it wouldn't change your situation because manager A, B, and C would all reflect certain cultural values that were untenable. But that would actually let me into that, to my next question, because a couple times, um, Andy, you brought up this concept of um, get to know the leadership. So depending, again, on the size of the company, in a smaller company, you may have the good fortune of interviewing with someone on the leadership team. Um, if a company is so large that you you aren't privy to those higher echelons, what are some of the tips and tricks you have for getting to know them and really getting to separate what's written what's written on the website, you know, meet our board versus um, how they operate in the business? What are some of the tactics you use to investigate clients that you would work with? I just ask people, what kind of person are they? What do they care about? Are, yeah. are values something that is ingrained into you know, business decisions. Like, are you making hiring and firing decisions based on those values on the website? Or how did those values get on the website? <laughs> you know, was there a process? Was there an exercise you did as a company to, to come to that conclusion? I really do agree that a, a company's culture, it, people can say whatever they like, but it really comes down to what are you getting, you know, a pat on the back for and what are you getting fired for? Like culture is a function. If you're going to make it very simple, culture is going to be a function of what you reward and what you punish for. Um, you know, maybe not everyone agrees, but I, I think that's a great way of, of, uh, of pulling some information out of the massive amount of information you need to consume when you're in an interview process. So, um, yeah, talking to people, hearing their stories about what were you rewarded for versus what were you punished for, like that, those are those are great conversations. Uh, because leadership does have sort of a symbiotic relationship with their employees when it comes to culture, and they they can drive it, um, you know, in some regards. But uh, but you can lose really talented people and. You know, really destroy uh, an amazing organization if you don't have the right folks, you know, in the right leadership positions. And again, a very valid point. I think it's something that um, not disagreeing at all, but saying I think that you can tell that a culture is decaying if they tolerate um bad management, if management's protected over individuals. So there's a flight of individuals and people from say a a single manager and you don't inspect the manager, then to me, that's a cultural problem in the company too. So totally valid point. Uh, One, one can't fight metrics, right, Brenda? But, uh, Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Unless they're inaccurate, which most of them are. So, <laughs> but but that's that's something that I would I would challenge just a little bit there because uh, you know I think we've probably all seen that from time to time, and and it's a shame when it happens when a manager is protected over individual contributors um, when maybe it should be the other way around. Correct. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, it's it would absolutely be a, a reflection of of you know a negative work culture, right? If the if the leadership team was built with with people like that, 
you know, really kind of powerful for themselves and, and hoarding information, not creating relationships and not being really true leadership and kind of driving down, um, you know, folks instead of lifting them up. If, if, if a company is embracing that, then that's, then that's their culture. And you don't want to be a part of that really, uh, or they, they have to move it out. But I would completely agree if it's tolerated, it's a part of the culture and it's not good. Turning this around a little bit, um, in your, in your life as a recruiter, how do you spot people who you think are good fits for a client? And, and what do you think some, um, all of us out there trying to get hired in the world, what, what reads off of us? What are some of our tells as applicants to these various jobs? You know, I, I see potential in everybody, right? So there, there really isn't, you know, I'm, I'm ruling people out based on things. It's, it's my job to tease out and figure out, you know, through that experience that I'm having with somebody, you know, learning about them. And, and that, that's where I really feel like, you know, for me and, and what I get passionate about with what, you know, with what I do every day, it's, it's, it's a big deal. You know, our, our careers and our lives are, are really intertwined and, and it's a serious conversation and it's very personal to have, you know, trying to understand, uh, you know, somebody and, and help them make a, make a right career decision. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to e- echo that one because, uh, as many folks know, you know, my wife, Kat, uh, has been a recruiter for years, um, not so much anymore. But in hearing her talk with folks, especially people right out of college, it, it's interesting that – and then sometimes there's, there's some cultural issues depending on, on where you're from. But the people that don't go, go through the process are the people who are not themselves in the interview. The people who have uh, really wrote answers or canned answers about why they want to, you know, why they want this job or what they want their career to be like. The people who are just uh, have rehearsed, and uh, so I think it's a my advice to people who are searching, especially on the beginning of your career, is, uh, you know, as hard as it is, you you've just got to be yourself and and reveal something about yourself. You can't just say, you know, it's like a resume that says, you know, I, I want to. Uh, I want this job to. I want a fulfilling and and a job where I can have meaningful blah blah blah. You know where, where you have all this boilerplate from some resume boilerplate, right? It just doesn't. It, it, that's not the way people get hired. And John, I have to I have to quote you on yourself. We're practically going to be a Malkovich at this point with this quote, but I use it. I'm not kidding you. I use it every single week of uh, your advice to people, or you're saying that in your career, the more John Troyer you were, the more successful you were. So, 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 so accurate. So when people, when I'm talking to people in various roles about feeling hesitation when they may be have a quirky idea or, I don't know, something that is just true to their character that they worry about because it is vulnerable, um, I am seeing them be successful. The more themselves they are, the more they just kind of own that space. Uh, it's remarkable and amazing. And and your quote is the one I always use to say, "Go go on with your bad stuff." <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to I want to be the cantankerous one today. So, a- Amy, is that shocking? It's normally you, to be fair. <laughs> um, is is it possible? for someone to be more themselves and be successful uh, if they are not self-aware? It's, it's a, that is actually a great question because one of the other points that, that Andy was sort of bringing up, I think, is 
that's where I wonder about cultural mismatch because, um, somebody could be, like you said, a little, a little bit bull in a China shop is I guess what you're getting at. If they are in some ways in their mind being themselves, but maybe having a tough time in their career, feeling stuck or feeling like they aren't seen correctly or maybe not fitting in culturally. Um, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. It's a, it's a subtle point, but I think it's, it's a case where, um, they can go on and probably maybe it is just flat out a culture, you know, yeah, I guess I was, them being themselves, you know what I mean? makes them not able to inhabit that job as well as if they tried that on, tried that hat on in a different company, a different role, a different, um, I, you know what I mean? I, I personally, I believe, and again, I tell my kids this all the time. I genuinely believe that every strength is also a weakness. And, and if you're in the wrong setting, um, I, I, I absolutely keep a list of jobs I would be terrible at. And the list is long and distinguished. And for any strength that I have, the weakness that comes with it would, you know, like a bus driver in Ireland is one of my favorites. Cause the idea <laughs> of driving a bus fast on one of those curvy roads on the wrong side, everyone would die or I, I would go five miles an hour. It'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you just hit all the points that I was hoping to cover with that. There's the there's this idea that sometimes you have to know what you don't want to do as much as what you want to do. And uh, I definitely personally found that it was way easier to identify what I didn't want to do than it was what I did um, when I was starting my career. Um, and then at some point, it's like you also have to have that really tough moment of just admitting what you suck at and maybe being OK with sucking at some things and improving on something else and kind of honing your skills. Um, you know, ipso facto, the like being okay with being associated with marketing, even though we probably spent three years trying to coach me out of being a self-loathing marketer. Um, <laughs> a lot of this depends on, on what, you know, we're measuring success as, right? So, so back to like your, your earlier question, I think, um, speaking personally, I was successful before I became self-aware. I kind of had this epiphany three or four years ago uh, that that was just a slap in the face and kind of turned the you know turned the faucets on for me and completely changed the way uh, I view relationships, the world, kind of my place in it, and and by all kind of standard means, at different points in my career, I was successful, but I wasn't necessarily fulfilled. Right. So it just kind of depends if we're looking at successes like, you know, um, get 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 your gold star, you know, in kindergarten, get the best grades, yeah. you know, get into the best college, you know, get the best job, make the most money, success. When I think about it, Matt, you know, when I go back to school and, and elementary school and, and middle school and high school, I would have loved to focus on things that made me more self-aware around what I was uniquely talented for and what I was good at. Yeah. And and I recently went through this process too and, and took this Clifton Strengths Finder test back in December. And and some of the results kind of surprised me, but um, only because th- there are things that, that we all have in us that they're so close to the vest that we just kind of take for granted that are unique. And, and their strengths, but we don't see them because they're so close to us. 
And I, and I love that because I think complimenting those small moments is such an opportunity we all have for each other. And, and to your point, Andy, that when you're really good at something, it's almost like breathing. You don't even, it's hard to be self-aware that other people may not be good at that like you. And especially I think people early in their careers and sometimes maybe a long time in their careers, right? Just because they think it's very hard not to go, what, everybody doesn't like bacon? (laughs) (laughs) It's impossible. (laughs) Oh, man. One thought, um, if, if you're, if you're in a culture, um, do you think that affects the kind of job roles available? Is that something else? I know this sounds funny. We talk a lot about job titles and what they mean. Um, I think they're very important to people. I think the, what, what you're called and how you self-identify, because we do spend so much time and work in this, at work and we're sort of never not at work in our, in our industry and in this modern time. Um, so it's a, it's a real form of identity and address. Well, and I, I'm curious what the other geek whispers think of this. I, I will admit surprising no one probably that I am uh, especially somebody with a weirdo job title like myself, but I am borderline intolerant where they are. When I see like cutesy for the sake of cutesy job roles and titles, I just know I'm not going to fit there because it, it feels uh, twee is the word that pops in my mind. It's just too cute. You mean like ninja and rock star? <laughs> Yes, or everything's a, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just so far out of alignment, you don't even know what the hell you do during the day. Like, uh, oh, I don't mind a descriptive job Silicon title Valley. that is explainable. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is like my very practical self, my curmudgeon. I know. Dang it, uh, I've taken the curmudgeon. Curmudgeons back. unite. Amy, we finally have something to connect on because <laughs> I, do, I go to like a place of pure, just what the hell are you talking about? And I don't care what you call yourself, but you can call yourself a pink elephant and you're still a marketer. You can call yourself, call yourself an engineer, but if you report up to marketing or your job is awareness, you're in marketing. It's kind of a. Well, you can. You can call yourself a unicorn and you could still be beheaded as the current market correction tells us. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just getting down to like, there's, there's a lot of ideas about what your titles could be, but, um, we have to be really honest at at the end of the day, or I expect people to be honest with me and with themselves about what they want to be held accountable to and then to do that. Sure. Important. I mean, back to some of our recent conversations, around roles that have evangelism in their in their neighborhood, right? The newer the job, the, the less you fit in a strict uh, org chart role like the ones Matt just mentioned, right? The more you have to communicate what the job expectations are. Uh, you know, if you're lucky, sometime of us, sometimes people are lucky enough to get a job that's like, go do interesting things. Even there, you you know, even, even more than you've got to report back to base camp and, and tell the people the interesting things you're doing and and kind of so they can uh, know how to measure your your job performance. Uh, you know, are you? Do they want you to speak? Do they want you to make content? Do they want you to uh, get convert people into leads? I mean, all that all that sort of stuff. It's 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 brutally important and, and critically dependent upon culture. And as one of the many people with uh, weird titles on this podcast, um, yeah, I found that even if somebody says, "Yeah, go just make cool things, make cool things happen," I still find myself like being valued more amongst my peers when I can clearly differentiate uh, what my value is compared to someone else and complement theirs, but certainly differentiate. And that's, that's an old line from Amy, right? Good fences make good neighbors. Yeah. And, and the other sort of interesting thing um, in my mind around titles uh, is that 
I, there is a line, right, of being a little bit descriptive and, like you said, fun on a business card versus, like, committed to making a meme out of it, if you will. Because something I've certainly learned is at a point, the people in my team need me to act like an adult, right? Which may sound funny, especially considering it's me. But uh, sometimes I look around and I'm supposed to be the adult in the room. And, and you know what? They count on me for that. And I wouldn't be doing them any service and sort of focusing on the, the edgier aspects of what I do. There are times that that's the right direction, right? Um, and there are times that I just need to be a plain old-fashioned marketing director, right? With all the, all the metrics and, and tactics yeah. and, and simple plain speech. Oh, don't even start. This is, <laughs> the confessional booth has now closed. <laughs> so uh, a favorite question I always like to ask, and uh, a little bit loaded uh, of one, aside from, aside from not showing passion and not maybe playing your cards when you're in a recruiting process, what is, what is something you would counsel someone never to do again, based either on a mistake you made or something you observed, a disaster in the making, um, if somebody's looking for culture, if someone's uh, trying to find that job, what and you see a, a, a mismatch looming, what what's something you would counsel them? Watch out for this. Don't do this. Oh, Amy, um, <laughs> it's it's to not take a position uh, to build your resume. Hmm. Right. So, so that might be kind of like a crazy idea and a crazy uh, talking point that we could probably spend a whole nother hour on. But um, I, I just, I, I believe that we deserve to work on things that, that we love to do and, and that we get juice out of. And, and I feel like I got that kind of advice early in my career was to just kind of build the resume. And it was probably some of the worst advice I ever got. You know, because I wasn't focusing on the right things. And so, um, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like it stunted my growth and, and didn't really help propel me. So that's a really it's very interesting because I think sometimes when you talk to people, I think they feel like they're supposed to say in a hiring process, you know, I, I'm interested in, like you said, this role because it, it's the next step in my career. Um but what an interesting comment and thought there that if that is the focus, like you said, the energy to actually, I mean, we've all laughed about this, right? Things can look great on paper, but boy, howdy, when you have to get up and do it 365 times in a row, it's a very different story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really is. Um, you know, and I think I would, I would just encourage people and, and I, I certainly didn't make this question up and I, and I was, I really stole this from Tony Shea. Uh, Delivering Happiness is a book that really influenced me. And, and he asked, you know, pretty much everyone he meets what their goal in life is. So, so on the other side of that, if I had any advice, it would be to ask yourself that. And then keep asking why <laughs> until you get to the answer. Andy, really appreciate your time. Is there, uh, if people are looking to connect with you, ask more questions, et cetera, what's the best way to stalk you online? You can find me on on Twitter. Uh, it, it's at uh, Tulo AT, and uh, you know, email and cell phone is plastered all over the internet. So, get in touch. Perfect. A million different. Perfect. Books. Perfect. 
Well, we really appreciate uh, you giving us your time and telling us what it looks like from the other side of the fence. Uh, it's been it's been a very it's a very interesting perspective. It's uh, we're all usually seeking, and you're you're kind of the matchmaker. So thank you for sharing the secrets. And until next time, this is the Geek Whispers over and out. You've been listening to the Geek Whispers. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whispers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whispers, Jay Troyer, MJ Brender, and Coms Ninja. Thanks for listening.